Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration needed for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or two million, Atlassian software is built to help keep you connected and moving together as one. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for PropG comes from ServiceNow. Seems everyone is talking about AI. The hype's everywhere. It's writing college essays, running earnings reports, and fabricating my voice so well that I'll no longer need to record podcast ads. Just kidding about the last one. But you know what's not a joke? ServiceNow's ability to put AI to work across your business. With their intelligent platform, you can improve customer experiences, help non-coders to code, accelerate your IT team's productivity, and resolve HR cases faster. So work can actually work better for everyone. So stop the hype and start putting AI to work. Go to servicenow.com slash genai to see why the world works with ServiceNow. Welcome to the PropG Pod's Office Hours. This is the part of the show where we answer your questions about business, big tech, entrepreneurship, and whatever else is on your mind. The dog is on vacation, so today we're running a few of our favorite questions from past episodes. If you'd like to submit a question for when we get back, please visit officehours.profgmedia.com. Again, that's officehours.profgmedia.com. First question. Hi, Professor Galloway. My name is Eliana, and I've been listening to you since I found Winners and Losers back in 2017. Uh, so I live in the New York area in Westchester. And one thing I noticed during the pandemic is that while plenty of supermarkets around us were offering online shopping and delivery, Trader Joe's never did such a thing. Now, you mentioned in your writings that the grocery sector, in order to stay relevant, any particular chain, will need to offer online shopping and delivery. Uh, that seems to make a lot of sense. The question is, how is it that Trader Joe's has been able to buck this trend? How come they seem to be this exception to the rule, remaining afloat while remaining a brick-and-mortar-based company? Can other supermarkets or stores of other kinds replicate their success? If so, how? Thank you so much. It's a really interesting question. It kind of flies in the face of everything we've been talking about. I, I think Trader Joe's, simply put, is um, an inspiration. Uh, I have a lot of personal goodwill for Trader Joe's. My mom and I used to go to Trader Joe's in the 70s in the San Fernando Valley, and it was fun. I would go to these huge wood buckets of chocolate-covered almonds and cashews. And my mom would say, okay, you can get a quarter pound. And I would sit there with my scoop saying, okay, a few of these you know, nuts and a few of this chocolate-covered cashew, whatever it was. And, and my mom would go get great wine for like what we thought was great wine. We, I, you know, my mom never made more than $40,000. But we just loved it. And 
I see Trader Joe's now. I see a line around the block for it. Um, they've done such a fantastic job. And what they've said is rather than investing in the supply chain, they're going to invest in the experience. And I think all of retail is kind of bifurcating into what I'd call extreme convenience. Uh, and that is an unemotional, super adroit experience where you just get what you need at a great price delivered to your home, Amazon, right? Or it's experiential, Sephora. Uh, you just uh, going into a Lululemon, going into a restoration hardware, and going into a Trader Joe's. It's just got such a great feel, such great value. They've gone all vertical. About 80% of its inventory is private label, and it has fewer SKUs. I think they've... I mean, I think they've just set the tone for so many great uh, trends in marketing. And the first is the paradox of choice. And that is, I think the biggest mistake we make in marketing is believing that choice is a good thing. It's not. Consumers don't want more choice. They want to be more confident in the choices they make. That's why Netflix is one of the most successful companies in history because it immediately starts pulling your data and observing your viewing patterns and says, Scott, we think if you like the Queen's Gambit that you're really going to like, I don't know, Landscapers, wait, that's HBO Max. Oh, shit. I can't figure out the analogy. But the bottom line is I can go on to Netflix and the recommendation engine, it says, okay, World War II in color. Scott, you're clearly this angry old man, and you love watching anything about World War II. So they're always merchandising to me, okay, 1917 or Dunkirk or what have you. And they do a really good job because I don't want choice. The thing I can't stand with my boys whenever we do a guy's night and we do a movie together and I make dinner Actually, that's a lie. I order dinner. I don't make it. Uh, and they pick a movie. And I just hate sitting there for 30 minutes arguing because, anyways, whatever the younger one wants to watch is guaranteed the older one. Too much information. Anyways, less choice. Being more confident in the choice you make is the gangster move. And Trader Joe's gets that. It's also a lesson in when you start hearing folks like myself saying something is an absolute, that usually means there's incredible opportunity to zig while everyone else is zagging. Uh, restoration hardware never really embraced online. Gary Friedman, who's probably the most important merchant of the last 30 years, overinvested in the stores. Said, you know, okay, we'll let people order online, but it's going to happen in the stores and we're going to inspire them and we're going to put in a restaurant. Where, I mean, they just, I could live in one of those stores. Anyways, there's always opportunity. Shopify said it's not about gathering data. It's not about abusing your third-party retailers and totally being consumer-driven. Let's focus on the retailer. Let's let them control what goes into the box. Let's let them control the packaging. Let's give them all the data. Let's give them custody of the consumer. And retailers will be drawn to us and we'll build a company that is one of the most valuable companies in the history of Canada. So there's always opportunity to zig when others are zagging. It's a matter of execution. Trader Joe's uh, has addressed the paradox of choice, verticalized into private label, and reinvested all that money that everyone's spending on supply chain and fulfillment into the in-store experience. An absolute inspiration and proof that there's always room for the outlier or the manager that says, everyone's going this way, everyone's zagging, let's zig. Thanks for the question. Next question. Scott, what is up, big dog? My name's Eric from San Francisco. I got a fun one for you today. What advice would you give to your earlier self or a young single male as far as dating in a post-pandemic era? And also, we got to tie it back to tech. So what are your thoughts on dating apps and the whole scene, Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, and versus Facebook dating? Is there more disruption to be done in this area? Doesn't seem like it. And maybe even taking a lens beyond dating. 
what would you double down on? Whether it be investments, relationships, um, soft skills, um, building those, building knowledge, and you talk a lot about empathy. So maybe what advice would you give your earlier self um, to double down on or just really to hammer in on? Okay, a lot there, Eric. We're going to need a bigger boat. So first off, I am not an expert on dating and relationships. Uh, this would this is one of those questions I'd love to have Esther Perel. I'll, so this is Pulse Marketing, and I'll just give you some thoughts. Uh, I did not grow up in the dating app era, so I don't know. I think dating has changed dramatically, and unfortunately, there's uh, there's what I would call we're suffering from a tremendous mating inequality, and that is that typically when there's digitization of any sector, whether it's media, whether it's social media, whether it's digitization of retail, you incur a consolidation where it becomes kind of winner take most. And the same thing, unfortunately, is happening in mating specifically. And I'm going to look at this through the lens of a young man. You asked me to uh, give advice to my 25-year-old self. But what you have on dating apps now, if there's 100 people on Tinder, if there's 50 women and 50 men, uh, four of the men receive the attention of 46 of the women. And uh, that leaves 46 men fighting for the attention of four women. And there are really three things that uh, women look for in a mate. And this is backed by research. The first is resources. And I know how terrible that sounds, but it's the truth. People are instinctively hardwired to want to protect their children. And as a mate, if you can bring to the table resources, you bring a greater likelihood that your children will survive. And women find that attractive in a potential mate. The number... Two reason, uh, or the, the, the number two criteria for a mate from women or from the female side of the species is intellect. If you're smart and can demonstrate that you make good decisions, again, the family is more likely to survive. I think uh, an, an interesting observation I made was the way I was able to occasionally uh, convince someone to date me was I would make them laugh. Uh, laughter and humor is a sign of intelligence. And I've always said that if you can uh, make someone laugh, that they will uh, date you. And then the third thing is kindness. Uh, it really doesn't matter the resources you have and how smart you are if you're an asshole, if you don't demonstrate a certain level of empathy and kindness. Uh, so I would say dating or your success at night dating is a function of what you do during the day. And that is, I think, to focus on your career and demonstrate responsibility, hard work, and that you are and are going to be successful and be a good provider, and I realize how 50s that sounds, is a component, is a function of how successful you will be. As a matter of fact, and it's scary on these dating apps, those four men that garner all the attention are able to signal resources either through the right degree from the right college or even living. If you uh, geotag yourself in a high-income area, you're much more likely to set, uh, have someone swipe right on you. And then the other thing is, I would say this for both men and women, is be aggressive. And we've conflated masculinity with toxicity. And I don't think that's true. I think being aggressive, which is a male attribute, is a wonderful thing. I think you uh, should ask people out. I think you should express interest in people. And if you don't know the difference between expressing interest and being aggressive, then making someone feel unsafe or uncomfortable, then you got much bigger problems. And also, there's just no getting around it. Um, uh, if you take more swings at the plate, you're more aggressive, ask more people out, are more uh, open to rejection and failure. Uh, the most successful people in the world have one thing in common, and that is they're willing to eat shit. And what I mean by eating shit is they're willing to put themselves in a place where they might be rejected. And if you want to punch 
If you want to punch above your weight class in terms of mating, it means approaching that strange person at a bar, at a restaurant, wherever it might be. And I'm not talking about in any way making someone uncomfortable. It's okay. If you approach somebody and they're not interested, they'll let you know and you can be respectful and leave. But I don't think there's anything wrong with approaching people and trying to establish uh, relationships. Uh, In terms of what would I double down on? I think in your first few years, I don't buy this balance. I think your 20s are about being a warrior, and that is being very, very focused on three things. The first is work. And by the way, balance, okay. If you're listening to this podcast, you don't want balance. You want relevance. You want to be a baller. You want to be more successful than your average bear. And guess what? Guess what? That takes a ton of fucking work. It takes a lot of fuel to make the jump to light speed. So burn a lot of it. Don't do what you're asked to do. Do what you're capable of doing. Show that you come to play. Work really, really hard. And you will. You have a chance of getting escape velocity. The trajectory of your career in your 40s and 50s or the ground you cover is a function of the velocity you establish in your 20s and 30s. The first is, I think your 20s and your mostly your 30s are about work, quite frankly, and trying to become great at something. Two, relationships. Try and invest, even if it's just a little bit, invest in relationships. I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I mean, occasionally checking in on friends, pinging your parents, just checking in. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Small investments, small text messages, congratulations to friends, checking in on people, helping people out. It doesn't take a ton of time. It's more about making little investments. We talk about how small investments of money can grow to be huge things. It's the same way with relationships. And then third, be a fucking warrior. Be mentally and physically super strong. Try to work out. I've been working out four times a week for the last 40 years. I think a physical stronger version of yourself is a happier, more attractive, more confident version of yourself. You should be able to walk into any room, any room, and think you can overpower, outlast, or endure more pain than anyone in the room. And I realize how macho that sounds. I'm not talking about being ripped or being jacked. I'm talking about lifting heavy weights and running long distances, not only in the gym, but in your mind. Demonstrate a level of grit. Be kind, invest in relationships, and try and become mentally and physically tough. And again, again, your success, your success at night, your success in dating is a function of what you do during the day and to demonstrate kindness, to garner the resources such that you can be kind, a good citizen, a good person. We have one quick break before our final question. Stay with us. Support for Prop G comes from Fundrise. You know the adage, buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You're going to add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash PropG. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for Prop G comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. 
Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether your team of two, 200, or two million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Welcome back. Question number three. Hey, Prof G. My name's Will. I live in LA. I work in the advertising tech space and I'm a rapid listener. If you'll accept the flattery, you're slated on my list of dream dinner guests. So thanks for everything you've already done for me. I've charted out a path to business school and I think I have a real shot at a top tier MBA. But in recent reflection, I realized my happiness is always going to be capped unless I'm working for myself. It seems like half of a great MBA program is just recruiting back into the corporate world. I'd love to keep doors open in case things don't work out, but does a full-time MBA make sense for entrepreneurship? Uh, appreciate the advice. Oh, Will from Los Angeles, this is a really good question. Uh, what is the value of a top-tier MBA as it relates to entrepreneurship? First off, first off, uh, as a narcissist, I heard that you, uh, I'm on your dream list for dinners. Uh, I generally, and I'm not, I'm not being humble here, I have huge imposter syndrome, and I I think that when most people meet me in person or have dinner with me, that they're generally disappointed. I think the person you're hearing and having contact with across my content is much more impressive and interesting than I am. Um, I'm generally, um, in person, a fairly intense and quiet person, and I think seven in 10 people who meet me or spend time with me are sort of disappointed. Uh, and that is they recognize that I'm just not as interesting <laughs> As, as I am on this show. But anyways, that's not what you asked. Uh, when I got out of business school 20-odd uh, years ago, there were two people in my entire class starting a business. One was me, and the other was my partner. Nobody started businesses. That has changed. And now I think something like a third or half of HBS's graduating class is going to be either starting a business or joining a startup. So much of this is situational. The first is what kind of school you get into. Um, I do believe that a top 20 MBA, it's basically 19 or 20 months. If you have the money, kind of hard to go wrong. It's just, it's great certification for the rest of your life. You make great contacts. It's a shit ton of fun. You get to kind of go back to college and have a little bit of arrested adolescence or revisit your adolescence. I went to business school at the Haas School at Berkeley, and it was just great going back to football games. So, but at the same time, if you already have kids, you already have a mortgage, you're killing it at work, you have access to capital to start your own business, maybe you don't need business school. So it's situational. But if you get into a great school, and a lot of this, these questions are moot. It's like, well, I kind of sense that probably the next step is for you to apply and see where you get in and then wring your hands around these questions. I can't stand it when kids come to my office hours and say, should I go to work? you know, should I go to work for Google or Amazon? I'm like, do you have offers from both? I'm like, no, I'm like, well, what the, f <laughs> you don't have a fucking decision. You don't have offers. Get out of my office or, you know, wait till this is a real decision or problem. If you're thinking about business school, apply. And if you have a really high bar and you have opportunities costs, 
then apply to your two or three dream schools. And if you don't get in, let the market make a decision. Then you go start a business. It does help. It does help. There's there's a lot of very well-publicized stories about the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, not only not going to business school, but dropping out. Assume you are not that person. There are tremendous skills you garner in business school. But if you get into a great school, if you're not uh, already kind of at letter C or D with a startup, and you have the wherewithal to go to a great school, you can afford it, or you get a scholarship, you have the freedom and the flexibility, then I'd say go for it. You're incredibly blessed. Very few people, 99.99% of America can't go to business school. If you have kids, it probably means you can't go. If you don't have access to a quarter of a million dollars in capital or debt, if you're not freakishly remarkable and do really well on the GMAT, all, all those things, all these moons have to line up for you to go to an elite MBA. So I would say, boss, if you have the opportunity, the 20, the 19, the 22 months to get an MBA, oh my gosh, it goes so fast. It was transformative for me. I, it doesn't sound like I was, it sounds like you're more talented than me, but I think it's very impactful uh, in terms of contacts, domain expertise, credibility for starting a business. Uh, so unless you're already off and running, boss, punch that ticket, go get an MBA, become part of the Navy SEALs of an information age business economy. That's all for this episode. Again, if you'd like to submit a question, please submit a voice recording by visiting officehours.propgmedia.com. Our producers are Caroline Chagrin and Drew Burrows. Claire Miller is our associate producer. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to Prop G Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you on Thursday. A quick reminder before we sign off, my new book, Adrift, America in 100 Charts, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Uh, please pre-order it. Pre-ordering is super important in terms of building momentum. Uh, the team, we put a ton of work into this. I think you'll enjoy it. It's an attempt to sort of distill down the macro and microeconomic trends, societal trends uh, that make up the fabric that is America, including some suggestions on how we become more moored to each other, connected, um, and how this great American experiment continues to be the best experiment in the history of mankind. Anyways, daddy wants a bestseller. Pre-order now.